Coming up, the drama continues in the NFL as the AFC continues to be a logjam. And in the NFC, the bottom of the bracket is becoming quite crowded as well. I'll have my winners and losers for week 16 in the league. The college football playoff finally arrives on Friday afternoon and evening as I'll preview both games. Will the Expendables, I mean the Lakers, ever get their season untracked? The NHL did the right thing by skipping the Olympics, but next up, rescheduling these lost games. I'll share who's been naughty and who's been nice over the holiday week as the final episode of 2021 is forthcoming. But first, this message. Hey everybody, Jay Reels here to share a friendly reminder. If this is your first time getting an opportunity to listen to what it is that I have to say about what's going on in the world of sports, welcome aboard. Or if you've been a long-time listener, not only do I welcome you back, but I want to advise you all to please subscribe, rate, and review the J Reels podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. Of course, this pod is on all platforms. On Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, Player FM, even Amazon Music. I not only host this endeavor, but I independently produce, edit, and write what you read and listen to. So your participation is vital to not only support the podcast, but increase the visibility, fuel the growth and expansion of this platform to those who aren't familiar with it. You could also share the show or a particular episode by posting on social media as well. The purpose of this is quite simple, people. To generate interest to those who aren't aware or know of this podcast, especially the former or current athlete, the broadcaster, blogger, sports writer, studio host, etc., as I want them to share their experience on the field, the court, the press box, broadcast booth, or in the studio with me, so then I could flip that to you guys and gals to deliver top-notch, fast-paced, entertaining, informative, incredible sports talk unlike any other for everyone to listen and enjoy and to keep coming back for more on a week-in, week-out basis. You could also go to my website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. I appreciate you all for your support. Thank you very much for listening and believing in me. I hope you come back for more as your trusted source on everything that's happening in the world of sports. So with that said, the J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J. Wills Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic and excellent spirits. And with the Christmas holiday now in our rearview mirror, Santa being back at the North Pole, all the presents have been unwrapped and lots of calories consumed in the process. It is time to get into what has gone on in the sports world over the past week and count down the final minutes of 2021 as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been banging with me for now 230 episodes, I welcome you guys and gals back. It is a Monday, December the 27th, the final one in the year of our Lord 2021. The J Reels What's the Deal segment, what to expect on this podcast is as follows. 
with all the COVID cases piling up, not only throughout sports, but especially in the NBA, all anyone wants to get into is what is happening in Los Angeles with the Lakers. I get it that they're just a story that seems to never go away with the cast of characters, as we all know who's a part of that team. But with the five-game losing streak and them falling a little bit fast in the Western Conference, they are the highlight and the top story in the association. So we'll get into that later on. As well as being a few days away from the college football semifinals, Cincinnati and Alabama, Georgia and Michigan. Can David, the Bearcats, slay Goliath, the Crimson Tide, in the first game? And can Georgia wipe away the stench of the SEC championship game while Coach Jim Harbaugh is just one win away from a national title game. I'll preview both of those games and a quiet week on the ice as they look to restart as of this recording tomorrow, Tuesday. But they take a huge step in making up these games as the league will not only bypass the Olympics and set up a schedule for those three weeks of February, but also incorporate a taxi squad similar to what the NBA has done and trying to replenish some of these rosters and obviously make up these games in the process. So I'll get into everything that's happening in the NHL later on. All that to shake a stick as we get into the final show of 2021, including my hero in Zero of the Week. We are now 16 weeks into an NFL season, which in years past, it would have been the final one in preparation for the chase for the Vince Lombardi Trophy and a Super Bowl, which will take place in February. But after those 16 weeks, we are still not one, two weeks away from the playoffs. And even though the chase for the postseason is starting to shape up more so in the NFC than in the AFC, as it's still wide open, a lot to get into, especially what has taken place over the past week. I mean, think about this. Since the last time I put up a podcast, which is a week ago today, There has been football every day except for two days, Wednesday and Friday of last week. So I'm sure either the football fan is just bursting at the seams with excitement, or maybe you're that one football fan that's just about a little bit tired of what the NFL season, and with still two weeks to play, just fatigued with the NFL. I don't know which camp you lie in. I'm sure the majority cannot get enough of what's going on in the gridiron, where even someone like myself, who was tired by Tuesday, and looking at those games, whether they were in LA with Seattle and the Rams, or in Philadelphia with the Washington football team and the Philadelphia Eagles, I was certainly just beat on anything that was going on with the sport. But that's all in the rearview mirror. Now we can finally take a lay of the land here as we're two weeks away from the end of the regular season and look at the big picture as of right this moment as to what's going on with both conferences, with the playoff races. But before we even get into that, you know I have to get into my winners and losers of the week. So to start off, winner number one has to go to the Buffalo Bills. And I say that for this reason. With the performance that they had a few Monday nights ago in their building against the New England Patriots and where quarterback of the Patriots, Mac Jones, only threw three passes in the game, And they were pretty much run out of their own building. And it looked like the sky was falling in Orchard Park to where a lot of the Bills Mafia thought that even with another rematch in store, a season that was projected to be Super Bowl at the very least looked like they were going to be hanging for dear life 
in order to make it to the playoffs. But after what we saw there yesterday in Foxborough, they did get revenge. Coach Sean McDermott was aggressive. He went for it on fourth down. It was almost personal to him knowing that this team needed to win in the worst way. And obviously so, because if they would have lost, they would have had no shot at winning the division. They would have been pretty much on the fringe, if you could even think of it from that regard, of making it to the postseason. And by them going up to Foxborough to win 33-21, key first downs during the latter part of the game where the Patriots made it close, and they marched out of New England with a big victory. Right now, first place in the AFC East where they thought they belonged from the start of the year, and now they maintain that perch even with them splitting the season series. But having the tiebreaker edge in the division The Buffalo Bills right now are primed to see if this will be the springboard to a long playoff run next month and possibly into February where the Super Bowl is being hosted out in SoFi. I'll get to the Patriots a little bit later on. So Buffalo, they are my number one winners of the week. My second winner has to go to the Cincinnati Bengals and talk about a team that is from one week to the next, whether they're riding high whether it be in the AFC or even in the AFC North. Remember, about six, seven weeks ago, this team had the number one seed in the AFC after, what was it, week eight or week nine? And then they had that big win against Pittsburgh to where they were seven and four. They suffered a couple of inexplicable losses, whether it was at home to Cleveland, the Chargers, or even the 49ers for that matter. But here they are after yesterday's just stomping of the Baltimore Ravens, and I get it that the Ravens went in with a depleted defense, COVID cases abound, including Tyler Huntley, the quarterback who had filled in for Lamar Jackson the last two weeks to where they had to pick up Josh Johnson from the Jet scrap heap, and he actually played pretty well in the game. I watched most of this game, and Josh Johnson was actually admirable in filling in as a third stringer. But with Joe Burrow throwing for 525 yards, and I get it, they probably ran it up there toward the end, not necessarily with the score, but throwing with about two minutes to go when the game was certainly out of hand. But guess what? The Bengals will be the AFC North winner. They swept the Ravens and the Steelers in the same season for the first time since 2009. And away they went with not only the heroics from Joe Burrow, but throw in seven for 125 for Jamar Chase. A huge game from T. Higgins, who had 194 yards receiving. I believe he had, what, 12, 13 catches. Just an offensive explosion by the Bengals as they go ahead and beat up the Baltimore Ravens. And it looks like they're going to be not only hosting a home game, but obviously in the process, winning the division. So those are my two winners of the week. To go to my losers, the first one has to go to the Los Angeles Chargers. Because for everything that has happened to this organization, especially leading up to that Thursday night game where they could have beaten the Kansas City Chiefs and had control of the AFC West, whether it was losing that game and then culminating with a loss in Houston, where people thought that was a game that they could have won. If they got to 10, they'll be able to make it into the postseason. But with that loss yesterday, hopefully you would think for the quarterback and even the coach, Brandon Staley, you would only hope that this is a gigantic learning lesson for both of these guys. Now they could still probably make the playoffs, although right now at the moment they're on the outside looking in and with their final two games being at home against Denver and then having to go to Las Vegas against now all of a sudden a hot Raider team, 
Chances are the postseason may be well past them at that point. But for the Chargers to go into Houston, a team that's won three games all year, and we know how poorly they've played. Granted that they didn't have their starting quarterback since the beginning of the season, and then a guy named Davis Mills had to come in there and pretty much mop up for the rest of the season. Just an inexplicable loss. One that's going to pretty much keep the coach up all winter long and even into the spring. And again, if this isn't a learning lesson for both the coach and the quarterback, I don't know what is. So they are my loser number one this week. And my second loser, and I don't want to kick dirt on them because they've had a long year, but I have to throw the Seattle Seahawks in the mix only because they've reached double-digit losses in a regular season in God knows how long. Certainly the first time that the coach and quarterback, Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson, have had during their tenure. But losing the game the way they did yesterday, up 24-14 in the fourth quarter, to where the Chicago Bears of all teams came storming back. They had a chance to tie the game late on that touchdown pass. But then what happened? They went for two, and guess what? They got the two-point conversion. The receiver kept his feet inbounds to corral that two-point conversion to where the Bears took the lead with a little bit over a minute to go. And who was the quarterback? who propelled the comeback and got the Bears one of the rare victories of their season? None other than Nick Foles. Yes, that same Nick Foles who won a Super Bowl in Philadelphia, who got a little playoff magic there the year after the Eagles won that Super Bowl, and a guy that always seems to rise to the occasion when all the chips are down. He was the one to pull the agony of defeat into the jaws of victory, and... The Seattle Seahawks have a long offseason ahead, and who knows if the quarterback is going to be in the Pacific Northwest because I'm sure the rumors will start now as to the end of Russell Wilson's tenure in Seattle may be coming to a close. So they get my second loser. There was a bunch of other teams that could have thrown in that mix, the New York Giants. And granted, it was Jake Fromm and Mike Glennon. What do you expect? But they've had a season that is certainly long lost and forgettable and a few other teams that I could have lumped in there but those are my two losers of the week and when we take a look back at this week 16 we can even go back to that Thursday night game and I've said this for weeks on end and two teams in particular one in each conference who a lot of people have built up a lot of people thought and looked as dangerous opponents come the postseason as teams that you do not want to play as teams that could possibly be dark horses and one being the San Francisco 49ers I get it. It was a short week. They had to fly from Santa Clara to go to Nashville to play this game in the middle of the week, obviously right before Christmas. And the Niners did have a 10-0 lead at the half, but they were able to squander it. They had a last-second field goal there by Randy Bullock and the Titans after the giveaways that they had in Pittsburgh, all those turnovers in the second half. They were able to rebound and put themselves in good position in the AFC. But for San Francisco... And I get it. They do have the makeup of a team that could win in January based on their ground game and their stout defense. But they've been wildly inconsistent. They're a team that you cannot trust. And Garoppolo, he's a guy that can make plays, but he could also not make that play. And that's what you saw there with the Niners there on Thursday night against Tennessee. The other team, and I'll throw them in the mix now because I'll get to the Saturday games in a minute. 
But the other team that I didn't trust, and a lot of people thought, oh, look at this, Jay Reels not being a believer. How could you not watch what the team has done here over the last six, seven weeks, considering they had this long winning streak up until last week in Indianapolis? But what you saw there from the Patriots yesterday, and granted, it was more about Buffalo winning that game than New England losing. But when you see the game plan, and this is where Sean McDermott got it wrong the first time around, he made sure that Mac Jones was going to beat him. And if you're an opponent going up against a rookie quarterback, and granted that he's had some games where he's thrown the ball 35, 40 times and have won in the process, but you have to see it over and over and over again in order to really show and prove that, wow, this guy not only can be a threat when he's able to throw the ball 35, 40 times, whether having a lead or even better when they're trailing because as we've seen throughout this winning streak up until last week when they lost to Indianapolis, this is a team that's going to play from in front. Once they have a lead, once they're able to put the pressure on the opposing team's offense, and as we've seen, the Patriot defense has been good, but I have not been sold by what the Patriots have done here. They had that slow start to where they were 2-4, and 0-4 oh in their building. They turned their season around, and now at 9-6, and six, it's going to make a lot of people think, oh, maybe we shouldn't take this Patriot team too seriously. Well, guess what? I've been saying that for weeks on end, and here it is now with two more weeks to go, and pretty much at the bottom of the playoff rung there in the AFC, it looks like they're going to have to take their trips on the road to go deep into the postseason, and with a rookie quarterback and a defense that is good, but it's not great, I don't see them long for the pushing, even with Bill Belichick at the helm to make a long, deep postseason run. So I had to get that out of the way before I go on to the Saturday games. Now, to get to the games on Christmas... I didn't really watch a lot of it. It's tough when you're surrounded by family and you're sitting around a kitchen table. Not only that, opening gifts. So how could you really pay 100% attention to anything that's going on on the TV screen? It is difficult. But in watching the highlights and in watching what happened, in particular in Green Bay, where the Browns had that tough loss against the Raiders there, where the game was postponed from last Saturday to Monday night, They lost on a last-second field goal by Daniel Carlson and the Las Vegas Raiders. And knowing that they had to overcome a short week, still with Baker Mayfield in the COVID protocol, to where he actually flew out Saturday morning from Cleveland to Green Bay as he was cleared to play. And it looked like it showed a little bit because with the way he performed, and granted the last pick was definitely debatable because the defensive back looked like he tugged on the back of the jersey of Donovan Peoples-Jones. But Mayfield was awful in the game. There's no way to cut it. And that leads to a bigger question down the road on whether or not the Browns are going to have to think long and hard. And mind you, I believe he's going into his fifth year, so you know they're going to cover that option. But to plunk $35 million a year for a guy who was a former number one pick, and yes, he did win a playoff game, granted that the Steelers turned the ball over in that first quarter last January to where they had a 28-0 lead. And even me, I probably could have won that playoff game with that type of lead. But with all that has been said, do you really trust Baker Mayfield to be the guy that's going to lead over the next half a decade plus to the tune of $35 to $40 million a year as the face of your franchise? I don't think so. And that's a question that thankfully I don't have to answer as being the GM of the Browns. But that's for a later date. As crazy as that game was, 
at the final seconds where they could have kicked a field goal to take the lead. And even with all the turnovers where Aaron Rodgers and company were able to capitalize on that. Because if it wasn't for those turnovers, and of course you can't take them away, probably Cleveland would have been in better shape to win that game. But as crazy as all that sounds, believe it or not, the Cleveland Browns control their own destiny. Even at 7-8, and eight, and with an opportunity leading up to Week 18, where they'll play against the Cincinnati Bengals. And I can't say they control their own destiny. I take that back because they do need Kansas City to beat Cincinnati this coming Sunday. But if that happens, and if Cleveland takes care of business Monday night in Pittsburgh against the Steelers, they will have an opportunity to win a division. As crazy as that sounds. But that's a fact. Based on the victory that they had over the Cincinnati Bengals early in the year in Cincinnati. So one more time. At 7-8, and eight, as of right this second, and with a loss Sunday, which could possibly happen, where the Bengals do lose to the Chiefs, it's all in front of them for the Cleveland Browns. I wish I was making that up, but that is a fact. The Saturday night game had Indianapolis at Arizona, and as we've seen, Arizona is fading fast, and Indianapolis is trending north big time in the AFC. What more can be said? Carson Wentz actually made some plays. Jonathan Taylor did do some damage with the ground game and his legs, but the big throw there at 15-13, which put a little bit of a cushion there for the Indianapolis Colts, There in the back of the end zone where Wentz, a lot of people question whether or not he's going to be the guy that's going to make some plays come January and maybe into February. We know about their defense, opportunistic, led by Darius Leonard, but the Colts are certainly playing at a fever pitch right now, and I'm sure a team that a lot of people, they would probably be the dark horse in the AFC if the playoffs started tomorrow. But everything is focused on what's going on in Arizona They were the one seed for a long time. They were the last undefeated team standing in the NFL this year. They lost for the first time on the road last week in an unconscionable game to the Detroit Lions. And here they are at 10-5 with a huge game coming up against the Dallas Cowboys knowing that, yes, they'll still make the playoffs because of how the NFC is shaping up and... With them plummeting fast, you got to wonder, quick, fast, in a hurry, can they turn this around to gain any momentum, to gain any traction going into January? And with the Cowboys, and I believe their last game is Seattle at home because San Francisco goes to the Rams the final game of the season. They have an awful lot of work to do, especially with a hot Cowboy team that they're going to face in Texas. And boy... I'm sure people in the desert right now are puzzled and have a lot of doubt as to whether or not Kyler Murray and the coach Cliff Kingsbury is going to be able to take this Cardinal team into a long, deep postseason run. When we get to the games yesterday, I talked about Baltimore-Cincinnati. What more to add there? Baltimore, it's funny. When that game concluded, and even with the Chargers losing... For about 15 minutes, the Pittsburgh Steelers had the seventh seed in the AFC. But with everything that happened in Kansas City, and you know I'll get to that in a minute, 
Baltimore was able to jump ahead of Pittsburgh and of course the Chargers because remember they have the Chargers beaten on a tiebreaker they are now currently the seventh seed in the AFC but not so fast because there's a game tonight in New Orleans that if the Dolphins of all teams and there's a Dolphins team that was one in seven and has now won six in a row to get themselves at 500 if they win in New Orleans tonight guess who will have the seventh seed in the AFC that's right the Dolphins because of their win over Baltimore on that Thursday night about a month or five weeks ago. So the AFC, as and I haven't even gone through it, as topsy-turvy as it is from seems like one day to the next, and a lot that still needs to be ironed out there in the conference, where in the NFC, it's pretty much the opposite. And of course, I'll get to that later on. But Baltimore still has a shot. Who knows if Lamar Jackson is going to come back next week. Baltimore has the Rams coming into their building and the Rams have played well, evidenced by their game yesterday, even though Matthew Stafford was not good, he threw three interceptions, his numbers were terrible, but Sony Michelle was the guy that saved the day with a ton of yards on the ground, Michelle ended up with, what is it, 27 carries, and I believe he had somewhere north of 140 yards as I looked that up, he actually had 131 yards to be exact, but the Rams were able to win in Minnesota, And with the loss by the Arizona Cardinals there Saturday night, they were able to get themselves not only the top spot in the NFC West, but as of right now, they are the third seed in the NFC over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. As if you remember, they have a tiebreaker over them where they beat the Bucs very early on in the season, I believe week four, week five, and are tied not only with Tampa, but also with Dallas as Dallas is currently number two in the NFC and that's evidenced by yesterday's just thrashing and we knew that there was no way NBC was going to flex out of that game because of Dallas who they are the market etc but you know damn well when it was 21-0 after the first quarter and 42-7 at the half man NBC was choking on their kale salads knowing that okay it was Dallas and yes the Cowboys and they're riding high in Big D But man, that was just an eyesore to watch. And I wish they could have flexed out of it. Because if you were into that game a few minutes into the second quarter, then man, you must be doing a lot better than I am because I was long gone from this game. Even at 14-0, I said, there's no way Washington is going to come back. And Taylor Haneke did not have a good game, as you saw. And what more else to say besides a 56-14 just beatdown And then Arizona next on the schedule, which is going to be telling for the Cardinals, as I just mentioned a couple of minutes ago. Give it up for the Vegas Raiders. Another team that was left for dead, it seemed like, two and a half weeks ago. And here it is after the game, as I mentioned earlier, in Cleveland there on Monday night or Monday late afternoon into the evening. And then what you saw there yesterday against the Denver Broncos, again, nothing spectacular when you look at the final score. 17-13, which pretty much puts the playoff hopes out to pasture for the Denver Broncos. But for the Raiders and everything that they've gone through this year, of course, John Gruden, the coaching firing of that whole scenario, Henry Ruggs with the accident and him being off the team and the, the unfortunate death of the woman that perished in that just terrible accident. Of course, all the other stuff with other players that had to be kicked off the team and now here they are, a game over 500 with a couple more games on the docket. 
and their playoff hopes are still intact. And who would have thought with a team that was pretty much left for dead, and it seems like that's been going around a lot in the league. I just talked about the Browns, how at 7-8, and eight, they could still pretty much win a division if all breaks right. Well, the Raiders are going to have to get those same types of breaks as well, but they're still alive and breathing here in the AFC, and you have to wonder whether or not they're going to have enough gas in their tank to at least, let's go one week at a time. Let's not even think two weeks ahead to see where they lie at the end of the season. Because with the two games that they have left where Indianapolis is going to come into their building and we've talked about how hot the Colts have been and then the final game of the season I believe has them going to Denver off the top of my head. Let me think real quick. The Chiefs are actually in Denver that final game so that means they are going to play the Chargers at home in their building. So that's going to, who knows, that could be a loser leaves town match unless both teams are going to be gone by then because the Chargers, actually they'll host Denver this week. So they may resuscitate whatever playoff hopes are left for the Chargers. Be that as it may, give it up for the Raiders as they're still limping along trying to get to a finish line to maybe not be on the outside looking in but maybe somehow sneak through the back door and make it into the AFC playoff picture. So you have that. Some of these other games, am I really going to get into the Giants and Eagles? I know the Eagles are hanging tight with the playoffs. Maybe I should throw them at least some kudos there. Now, Jalen Hurts didn't do much in the game, but then again, it is the Giants. I did talk about Jake Fromm and also Mike Glennon as the quarterbacks. And the Giants, they have to clean house, even get rid of the coach. I get it that Dave Gettleman isn't going to survive this. And even with Joe Judge, I know it's been only two years and you want to have some sort of, I'm not going to say consistency because that's not the word I'm looking for, but you want to have some continuity. You want to have a coach to at least go through it a little bit. Granted that it is the Giants, a proud organization, a franchise that just 10 years ago last won a Super Bowl, but since then they have plummeted to the bottom of the NFL. Uh, That's all there is to it. So that's why I haven't given this game a lot of thought, but you have to give the Eagles their due. They are still part of the playoff mix in the NFC. So even with a 34-10 victory, we'll see where that goes for them into the final two weeks of the season where they have to go to Washington and then also host Dallas, the final game of the season where Dallas may have nothing to play for. Because remember, even with them as a two seed, do they have an outside shot to be a one seed? They do, but you would think Green Bay is going to coast and all be right in Town, which is... In Wisconsin for the Packers, how I look at it is, is that with the Eagles being able to at least have an opportunity to make it to the postseason with a Cowboy team that may rest its players, that may rest Dak, Ezekiel Elliott, probably some of the defensive players as well, the Eagles definitely have a shot to make it as a seven seed in the NFC. I'm definitely not going to get into Detroit and Atlanta. We know the Falcons... If you want to say that they're hanging on for dear life to even be a part of the playoff possibilities in the NFC, you could go ahead. I'm not going to do so. But they beat the Lions there yesterday. Not much to write home about there. Same for Jacksonville and the Jets. I know the Jets had the big run there by Zach Wilson up the sideline, the longest by a Jet in the history of the franchise. And then Braxton Berrios had the 103-yard kickoff return. All right, whoop-de-doo. No big deal there. But then the... Tampa Bay, got to give it up for Tampa Bay. They did win. They beat Carolina 32-6, which means that they win the South for the first time in eons. Kudos to them. 
And then lastly, I'll cut right to the chase. The Chiefs win their sixth straight AFC West title, just pummeling the Steelers 36-10. And pretty much the game was over in the first quarter. If you follow me on Twitter, I said it was game set match at 14-0. The Steeler offense is up to its old and dirty tricks. They weren't able to muster anything. Again, a lot of that is the offensive line. On top of that, it's the play calling of Matt Canada, who I think is over his head. And granted, he may be a good quarterback's coach and may be good to be a part of the offense in that regard, but as a coordinator, this team has talent. This team has a good running back. This team has receivers. I get it that the quarterback is aging, but the offensive line is what's going to be the catalyst to this team, whether that means Ben Roethlisberger being upright or the holes that needed to be found for one Najee Harris. But for whatever that's worth, the Steelers at 7-7-1 and still have an opportunity to make it to the postseason at the moment are pretty much on life support. And I couldn't believe even Tony Romo at 36-3 where the Steelers were mounting a drive and I believe it was north of the two-minute warning. Maybe it was even after the two-minute warning. I forgot because by 33-3, I was out of the game after the Roethlisberger fumble. So for Romo to come out and say, if the Steelers have any chance to win this game, they need to convert here. Tony, it's 36 to 3. What game are you watching? This guy's been being paid $17 million a year. There's no way on God's green earth the Steelers are going to win the game, even if the Kansas City Chiefs handed him the ball for the final two minutes of the regulation of the game. What is he thinking? What is he watching? Might as well have me as a color commentator doing these games. He's just been awful this year. And I understand everybody was in love with him when he first came onto the scene with Jim Nance, etc. But he has just been abysmal. Uh, I've had enough of Romo. If you've listened to this podcast throughout over the course of the football season, and he's done three of the last four Steeler games. So all I need to say is sayonara to him. And why they took Phil Simms out is beyond me. Simms was a lot better than Romo. And that's all I got to say about that. I'll just move on. So that's what you have there for week 16. And as I mentioned earlier, Miami and New Orleans is your Monday night game, which is intriguing because if Miami does happen to win, they'll be the seventh seed in the AFC. And New Orleans, after their shutout performance last week against the Buccaneers, are currently sitting at eighth in the NFC. But even with the victory tonight, They'll be tied with San Francisco and the Eagles, but I believe with the tiebreakers, because they did lose to the Eagles early on this season, they will still be out of the NFC playoff picture. But again, a win does help them because who knows over the last two weeks, considering that the Eagles, although they have easy games, but it is the NFL, you never know. And San Francisco, they do have to go to LA to face the Rams in that final game of the season, but they do have the Texans coming into their building this week. And you would think with the Texans winning at home, Chances are they're going to lose on the road in San Francisco. So the Saints have to keep pace with both of those teams to see if they could somehow get in when it's all said and done. So we'll keep our eyes on that. But when we look at week 17, which would have been the final weekend of the NFL season, and for whatever the reason, they wanted to add that extra game. You're not going to see the playoffs until Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, uh, the holiday weekend that is. And when we look ahead as we still have two more weeks to go. And as people know, I'm already done with the season. I wish that this coming weekend would be the final go-around for the NFL. But we have to suffer. And I know I'm in the minority when I say that. 
But as we take a look ahead, week 17, no Thursday night games. The Thursday night games are done with. You're going to have moving forward all games on Sunday, except for the following week in week 18, you'll have two Saturday games. But of course, with this coming Saturday being New Year's Day and a lot of the focus and the attention will be on the college football bowl games. What you have here upcoming, you have your marquee game to me is Kansas City at Cincinnati, which is going to go a long way where Kansas City currently has the one seed. If they win that, they'll be in good position to go ahead the following week to wrap up everything in the AFC. Because remember, if they were to lose and Tennessee wins, Tennessee will have the one seed based on Tennessee beating Kansas City earlier this year. So they definitely have to keep on winning in order to secure that bye and not have to face whomever will be in the AFC until the divisional round. But you have Kansas City and Cincinnati. And as I said before, if Cincinnati loses and Cleveland wins on Monday night against Pittsburgh, they have their sights set on the division, which is crazy to even think about. But that is your highlight game there to me on Sunday. Also, another big game of note are the Rams going to Baltimore, the 425 window on Fox. That's a big game. We'll see if Lamar Jackson comes back. Remains to be seen. Arizona at Dallas, another big game, 425 for the country to see. I'm sure most of them will see that as opposed to the Rams at Baltimore. But those are your big games there. Your Sunday night game, I do not like. Minnesota at Green Bay. Minnesota's done for this year. I don't want to see the Vikings again. I wish they could have flexed out of that game, but similar to Dallas and the market. And of course, the quarterback, Green Bay, the top seed, Aaron Rodgers. Again, it's not really the market because it is Wisconsin. But it is the team, it is the quarterback, so they're going to trump anything that what other games that day would be to in order to flex Green Bay out of that Sunday night spot. But besides that, Las Vegas and Indianapolis is a very intriguing game at 1 o'clock. That's one to look out for. I know Denver at the Chargers, that's pretty much a last stand game for each one of those teams, but I'm not going to wrap my arms around that. The rest of the slate has the Giants at Bears, Tampa at the Jets, Miami at Tennessee. Depends on what happens tonight. If Miami wins, that'll be a game of note to keep an eye out for. If Miami loses, nobody cares. I mentioned Houston at San Francisco, Detroit at Seattle, nobody cares. Atlanta at Buffalo, Carolina at New Orleans, Jacksonville at New England, Pittsburgh hosting Cleveland on a Monday night. That's pretty much your week 16, or excuse me, week 17 in the NFL, which are some good games, and you have some games that have playoff implications, so you only hope that this season, which seems like it's interminable, will have some more excitement, some more edge-of-your-seat, riveting playoff scenarios to throw into the mix, and to pretty much wrap up the NFL segment as we go through the conferences And we'll start with the AFC. I mentioned Kansas City and where they stand in the conference being the top seed and what they need to do to win out. Tennessee with their victory. Obviously number two. The third seed in the AFC currently belongs to the Cincinnati Bengals based on what they did yesterday. Followed by Buffalo as your fourth seed. Indianapolis, New England, and then Baltimore round out the five, six, and sevens where you have the Chargers and Raiders at eight and seven. On the outside looking in, Pittsburgh 7-7-1, seven, seven, Miami 7-7, seven, seven, Cleveland 7-8, seven, Denver 7-8. Seven, and this coming week should be telling. And we'll have to wait till after the game Monday night, which obviously will this podcast will air well before that. Uh, 
So that game, depending on what Cincinnati does, because I think if Cincinnati beats Kansas City, you can forget about Cleveland winning division because that'll get them to 10 and Cleveland can only get to nine. So that would rule them out and pretty much maybe even out of the whole AFC playoff picture, depending on what happens there Sunday between Baltimore, the Chargers, Raiders going down the line. And as it is, they don't have tiebreakers with the Raiders. They don't have tiebreakers with the Chargers based on the two losses. So I would think if you're a Brown fan, you got to hope that Cincinnati loses to Kansas City in order for you to have a shot to make it to the postseason. So that's where we stand there with the AFC and the NFC. Packers, the one seed, followed by the Cowboys, Rams, and Buccaneers. Arizona is now the fifth seed based on their loss Saturday night, as I mentioned earlier. Niners are six. Eagles are seven. We talked about the Saints. If they win tonight, they'll keep pace. Vikings, to me, seven and eight, they're done. They don't have tiebreakers with the with the Niners. I don't know about Philly and the Saints. I believe they played. Let me. I had to think about that. But between them and the Falcons, forget about it. I'm not even counting them in this mix, although they're still mathematically alive. But we'll see. I'm sure it's going to be fascinating for a lot of people. You know I got my fingers on the pulse when it comes to this NFL season, even though, again, it is one week too long. But here we are, people, getting ready for the final two weeks here in this NFL season. And you know that I'll be all over this over the course of this regular season as we head into January and, of course, the playoffs, which is still three weeks away. And now we could finally set our sights for this coming Friday. New Year's Eve, yes, I know, out with 2021 and in with 2022. But you have a great treat there as you set up for whatever your plans are. I'm sure a lot of people are probably going to stay home based on the current climate of the country and with this variant and COVID, etc. Not to go down that particular rabbit hole, but you have two games there starting off with Cincinnati and Alabama at... 3.30, followed by the nightcap where Georgia and Michigan will square off as the other semifinal that will culminate two weeks from today, January 10th, for the national title game between either of those four teams. And to preview the games, and I'll start with the first one. To me, this is a David versus Goliath matchup. I don't care what Cincinnati is. I don't care who they beat along the way. We know the only team that they really beat in their undefeated season was Notre Dame. It wasn't their building. Give them credit. But as I said about three weeks ago, this is the deep end of the pool for the Bearcats. And we're going to see whether or not they're going to not only hang with an Alabama team throughout the course of four quarters, but can they hang with them for one half? And to me, the early storyline has to be the psyche of the coach, Luke Fickle, and even the quarterback, Desmond Ritter. Because they know they're going up against Big Bad Alabama. And all it takes is for that first snap to know that they're going up against a bunch of future pros that you can't really say about the Cincinnati Bearcat team. And knowing that after that first or even second possession on whether or not you're going to see it's going to be a difference between men and boys. And it brings me back to that game if you heard the podcast a few weeks ago, but I'll even put it on a bigger scope. 
the national title game between Alabama and Notre Dame in 2012. That was the Manti Teo team where his defense led the Fighting Irish to the title game down in the Orange Bowl against Alabama. And all it took was for Eddie Lacy to run roughshod through that defense. And Notre Dame did not have any fight in them knowing that they were going up against some men. And a lot of future pros in the process. And I kind of see the same thing here for this Bearcat team. Do I hope they pull off the upset? Do I hope that the glass slipper does show up right before 12 midnight and not for the Bearcats to turn into pumpkins? I could see them maybe, maybe keeping it close somewhere in the first half where Alabama may be a little bit sluggish or maybe that even with the win over Georgia a few weeks ago in the SEC championship game, maybe it takes them a little bit to get their bearings. But when all is said and done, Alabama is going to pull away, whether it be in the second quarter, early third, or somewhere in the middle of the third quarter. Because if this is even a one possession game in the fourth quarter, I'll be shocked. I could just see Alabama going away. When you look at the quarterback and coach combo, and God bless Luke Fickle and Desmond Ritter. This isn't a knock on them by any stretch. But when you're going up against a Heisman Trophy winner and against a multiple national champion coach, How are you going to, forget about stop this team, how are you going to be able to slow this machine? Obviously, Georgia didn't do it, and they had their own issues when they play Alabama. How would I expect Cincinnati to do it? Alabama, I could see this being 34-17. And as far as the nightcap, speaking of psyches, what is going through the mind of the players and the coach Kirby Smart and the Georgia Bulldogs. Considering that I just read a report a little while ago as the team arrived in South Florida because the game is being played in the Hard Rock Stadium in Miami Gardens, how there's pretty much going to be a bubble around this team to prevent its players from wanting to even get out of the hotel to saunter down to South Beach to even get one person exposed to the variant where half the team's going to be out and that's the last thing that college football needs right now is for any one of these players on all four of these teams. But for one guy just to try to sneak out to see what the nightlife is down in South Beach could just jeopardize their whole season. So Kirby Smart definitely has to reel his team in and I'm sure he's already done that to the tune where it's all business. This isn't a pleasure trip. Yes, it's Miami, and granted that the team is probably staying close to the stadium, not anywhere near Brickell, not anywhere near South Beach, but all it takes is for one cab ride or for a bus trip to just sabotage what was a dominant regular season that imploded right in front of their eyes in that SEC championship game, and then for it to just be go up and smoke against a Michigan Wolverine team that is chomping at the bit with everything that has transpired over the last five years with the coach, Jim Harbaugh, not being able to get over that hump against Ohio State, in which they did, getting past Iowa in the Big Ten Championship, and now here they are, ready to go up against a Georgia team where a lot of people thought that they were going to be the last team standing to win a national title, and as it 
constitutes at this very moment looks like they may not even get out of the semifinal game come Friday night. Michigan, I believe there is some pixie dust there in Ann Arbor. Georgia, can they come back from what took place a few weeks ago in the SEC championship game? I would think so. But I think this is Michigan's year. I think Michigan has earned the right not only to be here, but also to be in the national title game. Is this going to be a close game? I could see that. I could see Georgia having its moments in the game. And then maybe have Michigan come from behind to win this game. I could definitely see that. But when it's all said and done, I could see Michigan winning a 31-27 type game. Now there's a lot of questions that need to be answered even with Cade McNamara, the quarterback of Michigan. Yes, he's been able to do it in certain spots throughout the course of the year. In particular, that game against Penn State, that's the one that comes to mind when they were down in the fourth quarter. But now with this spotlight, with all the pressure for Michigan to get to that title game, from the coach who was a quarterback himself, to get into the ear of his current quarterback, will they be able to go ahead and beat the Georgia Bulldogs to have an opportunity to most likely face Alabama in a national title game. But would I be shocked if Alabama, when it's all said and done, wins another national title? Of course not. But if Alabama is going to get picked off, Cincinnati's going to have to really play at the top of their game. And I don't know if they have it in them, considering the spotlight, considering the circumstances, The whole world's watching now. This isn't just the people of Ohio or just a fraction of people that have followed Cincinnati throughout the course of the year. No, everyone's watching now. So we shall see. Now, of course, by the time we get to next Monday, I'll recap the games and have a prediction as to who will come out on top for the national title game. So we'll have some time to chew on that. But let's just hope that both of these games are entertaining, that they're not blowouts, that by halftime, these games are pretty much a foregone conclusion. I could see that more so in the first game than the second game, but you never know. That's why we watch. All right, now I'll turn my attention to the winter sports, and I'll start off with the NBA because with all that's happened with both leagues, And as we saw, the NHL took a pause last week because they felt that this was getting so out of hand that they just took the whole entire week up until tomorrow to restart their season. And rightfully so, they are bypassing the Olympics altogether as far as the NHL players are concerned. And that was not only just a no-brainer, but it was the only move for them to do if they want to even make up these games. And you know that they had to do so in order for these players to get paid. And obviously with the TV contracts with ESPN and even TNT in their first year and taking on the NHL, you know that was something that the NHL wanted to fulfill with their networks. So kudos to them and I'll get to the NHL a little bit later on. But as far as the NBA goes, they were smart in constituting the 10-day contracts to bring in players off the street for the most part. And we saw that in Boston where Joe Johnson at 40 years of age, the Celtics had signed, even Lance Stevenson came out of mothballs to be a part of the Atlanta Hawks. Those are just two examples. But when we look at the lay of the land in the NBA, and we know all the talking heads are going to look to LeBron James and the Lakers, and at this point, you have to 
really see is this going to work out and this whole experiment for the, as I like to call them, the expendables, is this going to pan out to any type of long-term success, at least for this year, for a Lakers squad that it was pretty much championship or bust based on the personnel that they brought in, starting off with Russell Westbrook, who is public enemy number one, because if you watch that Christmas night game against Brooklyn and his fourth quarter performance, which is one that you'd want to forget, and I get that LeBron James is going to defend him in the post game to where Russell Westbrook didn't even meet the press afterwards. But for LeBron to say, hey, he's our guy. We know what he's capable of, et cetera, et cetera. All the usual stuff that you're going to hear. He's not going to throw his teammate overboard. He's not going to do that. But I'm sure in that locker room, maybe privately among some factions, that this experiment is going to go up in smoke. And how could it not? You cannot bring a bunch of mercenaries on your team and expect for it to work. And I don't care how many all-star games that these players have been in. I don't care how many all-NBA teams that these players have had. MVPs. Go on down the list. When you comprise a team of so many stars the way the Lakers have, it's usually going to go either great or it's going to go terrible. And for a team that is 16 and 18, with the amount of money that's been poured into that team, and knowing that LeBron James is getting toward the twilight of his career, I know that you can't really nip and tuck and piecemeal it the way your superstar is going to want it. He's going to want to bring in Carmelo Anthony. He's going to want to bring in Russell Westbrook. He's going to want to bring in Dwight Howard. He's going to want to bring in all these players. Because he knows it's championship or bust. And what we've seen right now, after 34 games... And yes, will they have their moments throughout the course of the season moving forward? I'm sure they will. But now you're hearing talk about how can we get Russell Westbrook off the team from some areas of the media. And with that contract, there's no way. And what are you going to do? Bring another aging superstar who hasn't won and then exit the aging superstar out? That's not going to happen. So the Lakers, if you give LeBron truth serum, I'm sure he's probably thinking this sucker isn't going to work out. And who knows? I'm sure come mid to late April, they'll be just like they were last year, a seventh or eighth seed, or maybe a sixth, or who knows where they may fall in the standings. They're definitely not going to be in the top two or three. Definitely not in the top two. Because they're already about 12, 13 games behind both Golden State and Phoenix in that regard. But for this organization and for this team that have put themselves in a position where they pushed all the chips to the middle of the table and knew that it had to be the 18th banner or bust, it is certainly looking like it's going to be a long season for the Lakers. And as I said last week, and I'll say it again, they're not going to win a title if Anthony Davis isn't going to be 100%. And you already saw with what happened there, what was it, about 9, 10 days ago, him going down with that MCL sprain. There's no way. I repeat, no way that the Lakers are going to win a championship without Anthony Davis. So that's what you have there. The other LA team across the corridor, and they've been muddling along, for lack of a better word, even if that is a word, muddle along. Paul George is going to be out of the lineup for about three to four weeks as he's going to be reevaluated at the end of that time because of a 
tear in his UCL. Yes, he may need Tommy John surgery. He had hurt his elbow earlier in the month and then he had rested for about five games, about two weeks and then came back and then now it's re-aggravated. Don't know if it's a partial tear or if it's a full tear. You would think if it's a full tear, he might as well just get the Tommy John surgery. But of course, they're not going to do that considering Kawhi Leonard has been out of the lineup since the beginning of the year going back to the playoffs last year with the ACL. And here they are, middle of the pack in the West, similar to the Lakers. And who knows what's going to lie ahead for a Clipper team that also had aspirations of getting to a title, even without Kawhi Leonard to start the season. And who knows when he's going to return as part of the Clippers at any point in 2022. Also, there's been talk about this in-season NBA tournament, which they may implement next year, which I won't really get too deep into it, but we all know what this is about. This is about being relevant in the regular season. I'm sure it's also about money, which would be generated where this in-season tournament, I guess they're going to take the top four teams in each conference and kind of put them aside and then you're going to look at the other teams from five through, I guess, 16. I don't even know if it's 12. I didn't really look into this because to me, it's starting to gain some traction. It's not official. But for the NBA to do this in-season tournament, to me, it just sounds gimmicky. But I get it. It's to make the regular season matter because as we've seen over the last decade plus, When it comes to the regular season for basketball as well as hockey, it's just get me to April, get me to the playoffs, and I'll pay attention from there. That's what this is about if you ask me. Which, okay, the NBA has every right to do that, but it comes across a little hokey and gimmicky, as I said. So until we get the full chapter and verse of what this tournament's going to entail and how it's going to unfold and when, they say that this tournament will take place right around Christmas. All right, so two months into a season, you're going to have this tournament. What it means in the long run, who knows? But again, at first glance, not a fan. Other than that, I didn't really watch the Christmas Day games as I made the mention earlier, being around family and eating and opening gifts. How could I put any attention into anything that's going on in the world of sports that day? But I did follow from afar. I know the Knicks won, minus Trey Young. Even with Giannis coming back and he said that he needed that break from COVID. The Celtics were up 19 in the game. And then what happened? Giannis then turned on the Jets and they were able to eke out a win there in the second day game of the five-game Christmas Day slate. You also had Golden State winning in the third game over Phoenix. That's the second time they've beaten Phoenix this year. And then the Jazz beat Dallas in a nightcap prior to that being the Lakers losing to the Brooklyn Nets minus Kevin Durant and no Kyrie, who, as we all know, is going to be back in the mix playing and participating in road games. Timetable hasn't been set as for when he'll be returning, but we know that Kyrie will be in a road arena somewhere in the near future. But that's all you got there. I'm not going to get into standings at the moment. Pretty much everything is status quo when we look at the NBA landscape. The NHL landscape is pretty similar. As I said, no games pretty much the last week. They're going to pick up where they left off tomorrow. The big game, which will be hosted New Year's Day night, where this game is usually in the afternoon, the Winter Classic, which a lot of people thought was going to be in jeopardy considering the state of the country with COVID. 
But they are going to go ahead, full steam, to have this game. It's going to be aired on TNT, and it's at 7 p.m. So it's not your typical 1 o'clock afternoon affair, which we've seen for the last 15 years. And mind you, it's not on NBC, it's on TNT. Obviously, with NBC not having the contract anymore, it's ABC, ESPN, and TNT. But TNT has the rights to host this game. So if you're going to be looking for it on New Year's Day afternoon, forget about it. Wait till 7 p.m. local time, or Eastern time, I should say. And that will be 6 p.m. local in Minneapolis, where the St. Louis Blues will play the Wild at Target Field, home of the Minnesota Twins. So if you really want to get a winter classic, you're going to get it there because I'm sure the temps are going to be probably in the single digits with the wind chill below zero. And who knows, there may even be snow in the forecast. I didn't really get to take a look. But you will have a winter classic for sure come Saturday night in the midst of all the college bowl games. That'll take place throughout the afternoon into the evening. And the NHL did a wise thing by skipping the Olympics. It was a no-brainer. They had to do it. But to even go to the next level, they did a carbon copy of what the NBA is doing with the players that they could pretty much sign off the street. The NHL is going to also add that and have a taxi squad, whether it's minor league players or I'm sure maybe journeyman players. Someone could probably put in a call to Yarmir Yager, wherever he is on this planet, because Yager, he's timeless. He's a guy that played until his mid to late 40s. I'm sure somebody may even pick up the phone to give him a call to see if he could add some ice time to some team in the NHL. And not to say that's going to happen, but you get my point. The NHL has to make up these games sometime in February during that two and a half week Olympic break. I know it's going to be a logjam. I'm sure they're working fast and furious behind the scenes, but it was the smart thing. It was the only thing that the league could do because as I mentioned earlier, The players and the union, they know that they want to get paid. They don't want to shorten the season to whatever it is, 72 games or even 68 games for that matter. They're going to make up these games by hella high water and so be it. So obviously they'll have an opportunity to do that in February. But let's see if they could get through this week for starters, knowing that they're going to pick up from where they left off tomorrow. So we'll certainly keep our eyes on that. So obviously not a lot of movement as far as the standings in the NHL since they had this pause. So we'll see where we are a week from today as far as teams, games being played throughout the course of the week and we'll be sure to get into it at that time next week. Other than that, college basketball is kind of quiet. Give it up to Baylor as they're going to go into their third straight week at being number one. We didn't see that over the first couple of weeks, whether it was Gonzaga losing, whether it was Duke losing, and Purdue, they all had the number one seed until Baylor was able to get it after Rutgers beat Purdue a few weeks back. But now, into their third straight week, Baylor is your number one team, and as we all know, Baylor is the defending national champion, so good for them. And that's followed by Duke, Gonzaga. I forgot who the other two teams are in the top five, but again, college basketball's kind of cooled off with Baylor continuing their winning ways and their 10-0. And we've actually had some pauses due to COVID. I know USC and UCLA, they're taking a four-game pause in their schedule due to some outbreaks. The Big East had three games canceled or really forfeited where Georgetown had to forfeit against Providence. Then Seton Hall had to do the same themselves just this past week. And also, I believe DePaul had to forfeit a game 
to where we've had three games that had to go by the way of forfeit in the Big East. So that's something you got to think about moving forward for some of these other teams throughout the country, whether or not they could field a team, and that's by NCAA rule, or whether you could court a team enough to play a game. Georgetown wasn't able to do that against Providence, so unfortunately they had to take an L in their column where Providence now is 12-0, and I believe they're one of the top-ranked teams in the country. So we will wait and see. I believe 12-1, not 12-0. So that's what we have there with college basketball. And let's get right to it, people. Other than that, nothing really happening in baseball. Baseball's kind of quiet at the moment, as we all know. You would think maybe the players and owners will meet up after the holiday to reconvene and try to get the ball rolling toward a CBA. I don't expect it. I could see it somewhere after February, maybe even past the Super Bowl, in order for a meeting of the minds to really get serious on hammering a contract and a CBA moving forward. So we'll wait and see what happens there. But other than that, people, that's what we got to close out this year. And just like I do to close out each and every episode, my hero in zero of the week, so I'll get right to it. My hero of the week goes to Tiger first base coach Kamara Barty, who died suddenly over the weekend at the age of 49. He also coached the Pirates and Phillies throughout his coaching career, was also a player from 1996 to 2001 for the Tigers, Rockies, and Reds as an outfielder. Didn't really do too much. Pretty much was a utility player, a fourth outfielder for those teams back in the late 90s and early 2000s. All the reports said that he was a wonderful guy, an infectious smile. Again, he was the current first base coach of the Tigers. The report of the death, as of right now, has been undisclosed, unknown, but it was a sudden death, just a terrible and unfortunate, uh, just tragic. I mean, what more could you say? Thoughts, prayers, condolences go out to the Barté family, and what a tough time. Anytime you go in transition is tough, but during the holiday season, just terrible. So again, all thoughts, prayers, condolences go out to the Barté family. He is my hero of the week. And then my zero of the week, I know it's a strange one, people, but what in the hell was that reporter up in New England asking Bill Belichick, suffering a second consecutive loss to... Not only, of course, Indianapolis the week before, but losing to the Bills yesterday, where the reporter came out and asked, I know this is a little bit off the beaten path, but can you share with your fans what your New Year's resolutions are? Oh, really? Why would you ask that? I could see maybe at the year end, and I understand it'll be well past the New Year, but I could see maybe after the final game of the regular season, or even at the end of their season, whether it be in the first round of the playoffs or deep into the postseason. And I get it by then. You're not going to ask that question. But even just ask that question now, what does that pertain to what's happening on the field? What is this, media day all over again? That's a question that's usually reserved for the Super Bowl where all the people come out with these costumes and these ridiculous questions. That was just mind-blowing. And I can't, I don't even know who the woman's name was, but for her to come out with that question in that environment at that time, definitely not a good optic. So, Sadly to say, and I'm sure you could YouTube it, people, she is my zero of the week. One last thing I want to say before I bid adieu. I want to thank each and every one of you guys and gals who have uh, tuned in over the past year and beyond, not just for 2021, but if you've been following me since the very beginning, back in March of 2018, or if you've picked me up along the way, I definitely have to 
not only give you the praise as we close out another year and as we march ahead to 2022, but also for sharing my show, my podcast to the sports fan in your life, the ones that have been with me, whether since day one or just today. I don't care how wide of the spectrum your fandom of the show is. I just want to say one more time, thank you so much for taking the opportunity to download, to stream, to listen to what it is I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports because as we all know, there are so many other outlets, so many other podcasts, so many other platforms, whether it's on TV, radio, even podcasts like I mentioned, to get your information, to get that honest, trustworthy, and credible source from any of those other particular platforms and networks. But to know that you come here to listen to me, whether it's on a weekly basis or once in a while you drop in, depending on your favorite sport, whatever it is, again, I applaud you and I thank you for taking the time out to listen to what it is that I have to say about what's going on in the world of sports. And I want you guys and gals to come back for your unwavering support. Please continue to follow me, continue to spread the word, share it with the sports fan in your life as I am extremely grateful and eternally thankful for you just to give your boy a shot to entertain and inform you about what's going on in the world of sports. So I wanted to close out 2021, my final show of the year. And you know that I'm going to go full steam ahead for 2022. I'm expecting big things, working behind the scenes as much as I can, being that one-man operation, as I say, week in and week out, not having any assistance, not having a team, so to speak, that I could work with to kind of tackle some of the other things that are important to getting this podcast out there to the universe. So you know, as I enter... Year four, in just two more months, a little over two months, I'm going to head into year four of this podcast. It's time for me to go into a different stratosphere. It's time for me to go to another level. It's time for me to challenge myself, to get to the likes of the guys that are on those TV networks or on the radio or the big podcast platforms that are out there and you know who they are. The guys that you know that you go week in and week out, whether it's the hard-hitting commentary, or even the guests. And I know the guests haven't been a plenty this year. But I'm going to continue to march along. I'm going to continue to trudge along to not only put forth the best podcast out there, but even one that's going to have that top-notch guest, whether it's from the world of competition, the former or current athlete, the broadcaster, the studio host, the blogger, the writer, etc. Because that's why you guys are here, to listen to what it is I have to say, of course, but also to get that insight from that particular person in the world of sports that will share their experience with me so I can share it to you guys and gals to have you keep on coming back week after week after week. And with that said, just like I say at the very top, if you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review. Throw me a few stars, write a review. I would greatly appreciate it. Again, just to increase the visibility of this podcast for those who aren't familiar with it. If you want to hit me up with any questions, comments, criticism, praise, you could do so at the following on Instagram, JReels, or the JReels podcast. On Twitter, JReels1, just a number. On Facebook, the JReels podcast fan page, and as well as the email address, the JReels podcast at gmail.com. I'll be more than happy, ready and willing to follow up if you do happen to hit me up with a DM or email. And then lastly, 
to support this endeavor as I do independently. If you want to contribute, you could do so at www.patreon.com slash the J Reels Podcast. That's P as in Paul, A-T as in Tom, R-E-O-N as in Nancy. Please, whatever it is that you want to contribute, I don't care how much it is. All proceeds, everything is going to go 100% to the production of this podcast. Whether that means the website, the upkeep of equipment, production, etc. You name it. Because... If you haven't heard so throughout this podcast or any of the other podcasts that you've listened to, whether it was throughout the course of 2021 or beyond, you know that with every fiber of my being, I love sports. It is in my blood. It is in the DNA. I love to speak on anything and everything that happens in the world of sports, as you well know. My thoughts, my opinions, my analysis, just bursting at the seams, dripping with flavor. For your earbuds, for your speakers, week in and week out, on anything and everything that happens in the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it, from my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, Have a happy new year, everybody. Enjoy the rest of your holiday season. Please be safe. Peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.